0: following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. I'd like to begin uh, this morning by asking you to think of one habit that you have. One habit you have. You know, I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud, but what it, um, have you got it in your head? Do you have the one habit? When I say that I want you to think of one habit you know what it is? Let me ask you this question. Again, I'm not going to ask you what it was, but by show of hands, when I said think of one habit you have, how many of you thought of a good habit? Oh, look at that. You guys are, uh, by percentage, probably more likely to think of a good habit than the early service. Not that that says anything about the quality of people that you or they are, but... Uh, how many of you, when I said to think of a habit without giving any further direction, thought of a bad habit that you have? All right. Yeah. In both cases, the, the, uh, the bad habits were overwhelmingly more highly represented than the, the, the good habits. And I wonder why that is or what it says about us. Because habit is, it, after all, it, it is a neutral word, right? You need the adjective to, to find out whether, whether it's good or bad. Most of us, when I say the word habit, think of a bad habit. Well, today's sermon title is A Habit of Service. Service, I hope, would be one of the good habits. And this uh, sermon comes in the context of a series in which we as a church turn our attention to a thematic thread for the ministry year called Deep Waters. For uh, 2016-17 ministry year, for most of the next year, we will be thinking about what it means to swim out into the deep waters of faith and to deepen our faith through Scripture and prayer and service. And you may remember if you were here last week that in introducing this thread for the first time, I talked about how we need to do all three of those things at once, Scripture, prayer, and service, all at once. remember I used the example of Katie Ledecky, that really amazing swimmer, Uh, who practically lapped the field of world-class athletes in the 800-meter swim. And I talked about the act of swimming, how you use your right arm and your left arm and your feet to propel you through the water. And that um, the right and left arm are kind of like scripture and prayer. These are ways of deepening our, our devotion to God. But that the legs kicking is sort of the motor... And that is, that is act of service. And so we went into scripture and prayer with a little bit more depth last week. And today we're talking about service and developing a habit of service. And I realized fairly early on in my preparation of this message that it would be helpful to define the term, what the word service even means. Let me tell you a story uh, about the early days of Artisan Church. Now, Artisan Church was founded by four pastors, four co-founding pastors, which I don't necessarily recommend. Um, It was wonderful in all the ways that it was wonderful, and it was not as wonderful in some other ways. And uh, when you start a church, of course, you have the pastor or pastors, and then a group of people, uh, lay people, who are dedicated to it, but uh, the group is typically quite small, like smaller than the group of people in this room by far. And uh, I remember one particular uh, instance where we were sitting around in, in uh, a living room or in one of, the, one of the rooms of the building we were in at the time, and we started talking about outreach. And the person who was talking about outreach, it became very clear to me quickly, had an entirely different definition of the word than one or more of the people who were listening at the time. Let me tell you what I mean. The person who was using the word outreach, I was not any of the people in this story, but uh, the person who was using the word outreach meant by that, that we were going to reach out to the community and tell them about the existence of this new church. Some of you might think of that as marketing, (laughs) which is, you know, what it was. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but that's what this person meant by outreach, and it wasn't clear until like halfway through the conversation that this there was this huge disconnect because at least one of the people in the room defined outreach as going out into the community and helping people who are in need. You know, the poor, the homeless, the addicted. And you can imagine that the uh, priorities of those two people, w- when using that same word, were entirely different. Now, there you could... You could argue, and I probably would, that both things are important to do when you start a church. Right? But in that conversation, there was a major disconnect. Mike was there. He remembers. He was also not one of the people in the story, but he was there. Um, and so a similar thing could happen with the word service, couldn't it? Right? See, we're in a church, and so um, we talk about serving a lot. What's your area of service in the church? There's lots of people who perform acts of service here. Inside our walls, on Sundays, as part of making this worship gathering happen. And you have encountered many of them on your way into and around the building this morning. You you encountered a greeter when you came in. That's an act of service. Uh, You had delicious hot coffee waiting for you. Somebody made that coffee. It didn't just appear. Right? We have a prayer team. I mentioned them earlier. We have musicians. We have lots of musicians here, just a a few of them on the platform this morning, who lead us in worship. There's people who set up the chairs so that you have a place to put your butt when you come in the room. There are all kinds of people who are engaging in lots of acts of service. The list goes on and on and on. But we as a church are also acutely aware of the fact that we need to get beyond our walls, that being the church, being the hands and feet of Christ in a hurting world, has to be has to be about so much more than just making uh, this worship experience happen for ourselves. And so we have people who perform acts of service outside in the community and the world by addressing things like homelessness and racial and economic injustice and addiction and poverty. And that list goes on and on and on too. You may have seen on your way in a giant pile of backpacks in the hallway. Did you see this on the way in? We've partnered with Northeast Area Development to... um, provide backpacks and school supplies for 50 um, impoverished children whose parents can't buy them, can't afford to buy them school supplies and so their whole experience of getting an education would be impaired. And so NEED Rochester has this wonderful program and we've partnered with them and we're one of other organizations that are doing this. Now we set a goal to bring in 50 backpacks and um, Tracy told me this morning we hit the goal. That's wonderful. that's a perfect example of an act of service that sort of starts inside our walls and then goes, goes beyond our walls. But if, we don't, um, if we're not clear about what we're talking about, this could get confusing. So let me propose a definition of service that I think and hope will um, encompass both of those things and perhaps some others as well. Here's my definition of service. It's very simply putting the needs of others before your own. Simple enough, right? Service is putting the needs of others before your own. Now, that's a definition that could encompass uh, things like getting up earlier than maybe you wanted to to come to church to be a greeter or to make the coffee or to set up the chairs. Right? It's also a definition that can include uh, spending some of your money on school supplies instead of on you know, coffee or um, Three Musketeers bars or um, new books that you could read or Netflix that month or whatever it was that you gave up to do this. So I like this definition of putting the needs of others before your own because it encompasses lots of different types of things that we call service. But I also like it because, in my opinion, it is a definition that um, works really well with the life and ministry of Jesus, who is, after all, the God we serve, the one whose example we seek to follow. It's consistent with the way he lived his life on earth and it is consistent with uh, the way he taught his disciples and the way he through the miracle of uh, time passing and these teachings being handed down is the way he teaches us as well. Let me t- um, I want to share some of the, the teachings of Jesus with you in a second. But first I want to, I want to slow us down just a little bit because um, putting the needs of others before our own is kind of a, you know, it's easy to say and harder to do, like so many important things in life. It's not something that comes naturally to us at all. As a matter of fact, the opposite is probably true, where what we do, if we don't exert any effort, if we just kind of let the the river of life carry us where it will, is the opposite. We put our own needs ahead of everybody else's. And um, many of the problems in our world uh, are the result of us and others putting our needs ahead of the needs of other people. Uh, some of you are familiar with Richard Foster's much-loved classic book called Celebration of Discipline. Um, this is a book that uh, I think he wrote it about 40 years ago now and has been read and read and read very widely. He, he describes 12 classical spiritual disciplines, in other words, things that, you, that Christians have traditionally done to come closer to God and to live out their faith. And service is included in the 12. But he has a little warning that that he gives his readers when it comes to service. um, That putting the needs of others ahead of your own is not exactly going to be a pleasant experience. Here's what he says. In service, we must experience the many little deaths of going beyond ourselves. Service banishes us to the mundane, the ordinary, the trivial. So uh, if we were uh, to put a poster up advertising the, <laughs> the benefits of the Christian life, uh, many little deaths is probably not the copy that we would want to put on there to make it attractive to the world. But if we're going to serve people in the way of Jesus, that's what he, Foster warns us, we experience many little deaths. Now he also has some very hard words about performing acts of service in public versus in private, and how uh, serving others is hard enough, but... Serving others when nobody can see it and give us credit is even harder. So, to try to think of service as a habit, which is, after all, remember the title of the sermon, a habit of service, it doesn't exactly get my heart racing. A habit of many little deaths is not really the kind of habit I want to try to incorporate into my life. But when you think of it as an embodiment of Jesus' teachings, I don't think we're left with any choice. Jesus, after all, is the one who said himself, I am among you as one who serves. Jesus is the Servant. Capital S. Jesus says, Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. You may remember a few weeks ago when I was on vacation, we had a guest speaker, Pastor Torrance Jones, who came and taught on John 13, the, the that story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, which is both a beautiful thing and also really weird and hard for us to comprehend in our modern era. Um, but he, uh, Pastor Jones had just been in Israel, and so he, he had walked on the dusty roads and seen how dirty his feet got, and, and he shared how he had this kind of new understanding of this moment. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He was supposed to be the one who's in charge. His definition of leadership is actually service. And ultimately, he said and then modeled this truth that no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so here's the connection that I made this week as I was preparing which is that um, service is the natural evidence of true Christian love. If we are exhibiting true Christian love, which is to say the love of Jesus, both as he taught it and modeled it, then we will be serving others. That's, That's the definition. Service is the natural evidence of true Christian love. It is, it is love that has been activated. It's love that has kinetic energy. Science. I know some science. Uh, and which, by the way, is the only kind of love. There is no love that's just static. Love is in action, by definition. Remember the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 said that if he has all the spiritual gifts in the world but doesn't have love, he's nothing but a a clanging gong, a noisy cymbal. You know, the New Testament has this beautiful metaphor for how to live out Christian love. It appears over and over again in the New Testament, particularly in the letters uh, of Paul. The metaphor for For how we are to love each other is is the metaphor of getting dressed. Now the um, the kind of spiritual sounding biblical language uses the phrase uh, "clothe yourselves" as in "clothe yourselves with love," right? But um, and that's not how we say it, though, is it? When we're talking about putting on clothes, we just say "get dressed," right? If I'm telling one of my children that they need to put clothes on, because we're going to leave the house, I don't say, Teddy, go upstairs and clothe yourself. (laughs) I say, Teddy, go get dressed. You're driving me nuts. And so I'm going to um, read to you from Colossians chapter 3. And instead of using the phrase, clothe yourselves, I'm going to say get dressed, because I think it kind of gives it a little bit more... Like, snap. It, it just kind of works better that way. This is Colossians 3, 12 through 17. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion... Wait. Get dressed with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. Above all... Get dressed in love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. By the way, you can do that by engaging in scripture study and in prayer. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God, whether or not the words are on the screen. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Clothe yourselves with love. Get dressed in love. I end up using this passage a lot when I do weddings. For one reason or another, people seem to choose this one. Um, I think it's because if you Google uh, Bible passages for a wedding, it's one of the ones that comes up. I also sometimes provide couples with a list of scriptures that are commonly used in weddings, and a lot of people choose this one, which I think is great, because I think it's perfect for the type of things that I want to say to people who are about to get married to each other about what they ought to expect from their marriage. Uh, I tell them that love is, is not some magic wand that will keep them feeling happy and affectionate toward one another all the days of their life with no effort. That on the contrary, love is something that requires daily, intentional effort. And then I usually say, anybody in the room who's been married longer than five years knows exactly what I'm talking about. And then there's always some nervous chuckles. Because love is not a magic wand. And I say to them, the Bible says to clothe yourselves with love to get dressed with love, to put on love, it says in other places. And here's what you have to remember. Just like every single day, you have to get up and put a shirt on by making some effort. In other words, there's never a day when you get up and the shirts just fly onto your body, right? You have to do it every single day. Just as you have to put on your shirt every day, you have to decide to put on love every day. Which brings me back to the idea of developing a habit of service. Now, when we say the word habit, uh, we think of something that we do automatically, right? Whether it's good or bad, it's something that happens kind of below below the consciousness. You wake up, you groggily brush your teeth, right? That would be sort of a good thing, a good habit. Or we might have really like drastically bad habits like being addicted to hard drugs or something like that. You have a, a, a cocaine habit. We use the word in both ways. But in either case, we think it's something that's automatic that we don't have to think about. But do you know what the original meaning of the word habit is? Clothes. Here, I have a, a picture. Josiah, can you show them that picture of the, uh, the people in their habit? It's a picture of some nuns. Right? They're wearing a religious habit, but the word is actually generic to clothing. It's only really used um, uh, of religious people wearing garb nowadays. But here's the thing about a religious habit. If, uh, if a nun walked into our midst this morning, provided you didn't go to Catholic school and have some really negative ruler-based experiences, <laughs> You, you might think instant, the first thing that comes to your mind might be, oh, she's a nun, rather than like, oh, I need to run away now. Um, I know some of you went to Catholic school and I apologize for this analogy. But I want to keep it in the realm of the positive right now. A person comes in dressed like the people in this picture and you know immediately what their life is about because they are wearing a habit. And every day... They have to choose to put it on. And every time they do, they're reminded of what their life is about. And I hope that this is actually an encouragement to you. When you think about cultivating a habit of service, and you think, oh, I'm just not good at it. I I can't remember to do it. I I can't become addicted to service the way some people are addicted to drugs or the way I'm addicted to coffee or cigarettes or something. I can't do it. It's just not natural for me. That's Okay. Developing a habit of service simply means putting on love every time you get up out of bed. Getting dressed with love. That's what a habit of service is. And so, as we close this morning, I want to think back to our trifecta of spiritual depth. Remember the three things that compose deep waters. Scripture, Scripture, prayer, and service. And I want to ask you to think about your answer to this question. Which one of these is the most important? Yes, I know we're supposed to do all three. I've harped on that a few times now. But I know that each one in the room has one that you think is the most important. Or that comes the most naturally to you. Or that should be the proper starting point. And the other ones will come, but you have to start with this one. Let me encourage you this way. I would like to think of Scripture and prayer and service, each as a gateway into spiritual depth, and that you can start with any of the three. You know, I say we need to do all three, and probably what you hear is, oh, I'm only good at one, or barely good at one. I really have to work at all three. these at once, and it's so so hard. It's like is starting to juggle when I don't even know how to catch one ball. The good news is that each one is a gateway into the others. So each one is both a gateway and an outcome. So if you are naturally given to prayer, I would encourage you to pray more, and I would trust that as you deepen your life of prayer, that that will inspire you to study the Scriptures more, and it will inspire you into more acts of service. You may be a person, as I am, who is naturally curious about the Scriptures, and studying the Bible for you is the one that comes easiest of the three. I would encourage you to study Scripture more. Because I'll tell you from my own experience, the more when, when I am studying Scripture regularly, when I'm making it a habit, when I'm putting it on every day, those are the times uh, when I start to become like, better at prayer. It's weird that ser- uh, uh, Scripture is a gateway into better prayer for me, even though prayer doesn't come as naturally. And it's times like that when I'm, when I'm studying the Scriptures every day, when I'm making it a habit, that I begin to be drawn out into service because you can't study the scriptures and think, oh, I don't have to care for the people around me. I don't have to put the needs of others ahead of mine because you can't, you can't do it, right? And you might be a person, lastly, who is naturally drawn to acts of service. And they may be, it may be for reasons that are completely uh, irreligious. You may, in fact, not consider the scriptures authoritative in your life at all. You may not even be sure there's a God that's worth praying to, but you know you want to serve those around you. And I would suggest to you that it's okay to start there too because service can be a gateway into Scripture and prayer. And I'm going to trust that we're going to see that this is true over the coming year as we work at all three. Go in through the gateway that is natural to you and let the others become the outcome for you. One of my spiritual heroes, Richard Rohr, uh, operates a... um, an organization in New Mexico called the Center for Action and Contemplation. He's a Franciscan friar, and he's just a lovely, lovely person. And he talks about the naming of his organization, the Center for Action and Contemplation, and he says this, The most important word in our center's name is not action, nor is it contemplation, but the word and. We need both action and contemplation to have a whole spiritual journey. It doesn't matter which comes first. Action may lead you to contemplation and contemplation may lead you to action. But finally, they need and feed each other. Since that little tiny word and is the most important word in the name of the Center for Action and Contemplation, I'm going to ask you, before we come to communion uh, to practice a brief, silent meditation on the word and, because there's so many ors in our life. I can do this or that, this or that, this or that. I want you to think about making it an and. Will you take just a moment and reflect on that simple little word, and, before we come to communion today. And now I extend to you the invitation to the table of the Lord. Artisan's communion table is an open table, meaning that any person seeking to follow Jesus in this place today is welcome to come and partake of this sacrament of the church. Uh, You don't have to be a member here or anywhere. If you're seeking to follow Jesus, you can come and receive his body and blood at this table. Uh, If you'd like Instead, to receive personal prayer, you can come and receive that from a member of the prayer team. If you'd like to sit and observe instead, that's perfectly fine too. Uh, Respond however the Spirit is speaking into your life, and let's continue to worship Him together. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.